Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Well, welcome back. Friday, February 3rd, 2023, 602-508-0960 is the number. I am Seth Leibson. We have Bill, our chief producer, and we have David, our associate producer, with us today. It's odd what we have to debate in America in 2023, a full generation after the collapse and fall of the Berlin Wall and European communism. Today, the popularity of Marxism among our youth, it's on the rise. One poll has Generation Z given 49% favorability to Marxism here in America. Imagine an ideology responsible for the killing of over 100 million people in the last century has a near half population favorability among this nation's youth. And yesterday, its animating political economic system, socialism, was put on the House floor for a vote in Washington, D.C., for simple denunciation or renunciation. Eighty-six Democrats refused to vote to denounce or renounce socialism. Fourteen merely voted present, so they wouldn't be on record one way or other. And people think the Republican Party is extreme. How did we get here? Well... We've been on a two-generation tear against Western, that is, anti-communist values, and a two-generation tear against America. And we've used not only class, but race and sex to establish the neo-Marxist doctrines, doctrines that are settling here in America. And we've perverted language along the lines Orwell outlined in his novel, 1984. In fact, the left has turned that novel from a dystopian novel into a how-to manual. This is why you can take just one shibboleth, like racism, and use it against any political opponent you disagree with on any issue, respective or irrespective of race. That's how Larry Elder became, as the Los Angeles Times put it, the black face of white supremacy, or how black officers beating a black man to death can be seen as black racism. It's how Ilan Omar can be defended by the likes of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or Ilan Omar herself as they suppress and ignore every charge over every allegation of anti-Semitism and say she is being targeted for her race. She says Republicans don't want a person of color speaking on foreign policy. Well, tell that to Condi Rice, Nikki Haley and Colin Powell. Omar has it wrong. We don't want an anti-Semite and an anti-American speaking on behalf of U.S. foreign policy. Does that really need to be said? Evidently, it does. But it leaves us with a question, though, which is why, why is it that leftists in America keep making that allegation of racism against any evidence of racism by their political opponents? At first thought, for those on the left who support the transformation of this country in the name of their progressivism, this is nothing new. Socialists, communists have always redounded to two default 
positions, propaganda and propaganda in the service of alleging socially criminal behavior to rally support. It was the Nikita Khrushchev strategy in the 1950s and 1960s, for example, that invented the notion of racist states or racist countries that used race to protect their colonialist and imperialist governance structures. Speech after speech in the United Nations alleged racism on behalf of revolutionary Marxist movements around the globe. The United States, housing as it did the United Nations, where most of these fulminations took place, was not immune. As but one of many examples, here's Khrushchev in a 1960 speech at the United Nations. Quote, practice shows that the United States restricts and infringes upon the rights of the representatives of various states. There have been oases, for instance, where the representatives of young African and Asian states have been subjected to racial discrimination in the United States and even to attacks by thugs, close quote. He could say this even as his own country had ethnically cleansed Cossacks and Poles from the Soviet Union for no other reason than their ethnicity. And Jews were imprisoned for being Jews or for wanting to leave or for wanting to celebrate their holidays. Normal countries don't contain Bibles whose existence relies on smuggling and secret police to be smuggled from. A year after giving that 1960 speech, Khrushchev went on the next year to articulate the Marxist cause and justification for wars of national liberation. Quote, people should fight for their self-determination, for independent and national development against rotten reactionary regimes, close quote. A rotten reactionary regime that is the causus belli or the jus in bello, that is the legitimacy for taking up arms. And the United States was such a rotten and reactionary regime to him. So two immediate things were brought to post-World War II world affairs in America. A, the notion that racism was the worst of all crimes that could be committed, and that B, violent uprisings and revolutions against it were not only justifiable but encouraged. The unspoken part, the sotto voce, was that all of this came from people who were never elected to their positions of power in the first place. That is to say... All of this came from tyrants who achieved power and perpetuated their power, not via the consent of the governed, but rather by bullets, force, the corruption of language and state apparatuses of power backed by the party, capital P. And to give you an idea of just how powerful the party was, leaders of regimes like China and the USSR were always the chairman of their party first before they were ever premiers. The party controlled the state. Another reason and manner in which to govern without consent. The state was subordinate to the party, not the other way around. Now, combine this history as you begin to also contemplate the rise in the late 1950s and throughout the 1960s of counter-revolutionary socialist and Marxist terrorist groups, all with Soviet support from the Middle East to Latin America. Consider Jean-Paul Sartre's 1961 introduction to Franz Fanon's Wretched of the Earth. The rebel's weapon is the proof of his humanity, Sartre wrote, quote, for in the first days of the revolt, you must kill. To shoot down a European is to kill two birds with one stone, he wrote, to destroy an oppressor and the man he oppresses at the same time. There remain a dead man then and a free man then. The survivor for the first time feels a national soil under his foot, close quote. 
Now you begin to see the Marxist notion of self-determination, if not violence. For the violent act is necessary. It is actualizing to achieve self-determination of a people via revolutionary overthrow of a government as much as it is per Sartre to liberate oneself. The violent act at once helps overthrow the chains of society as much as society's chains on an individual. As Marx would put it in his own words, quote, there is only one way in which the murderous death agonies of the old society and the bloody birth throes of the new society can be shortened, simplified and concentrated. And that way is revolutionary terror, close quote. Now, so long as we're combining things, add all that, especially as it developed in the West beginning in the 1950s and throughout the 1960s, and look at some of the polling where millennials and Generation Z have increasingly positive views of Marxism. This helps explain not only the popularity of folks like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, and Ayanna Presley, and the rest. It helps explain the lack of revulsion of their views as non-starters to begin with. You have in these representatives the exact opposite coin of a David Duke, except he proclaims his racism and the squad proclaims their opposition to it, if it's a certain kind of racism. The problem here is David Duke is not the squad's uh, target. America is. In fact, there is a tyrannical nexus yesterday, literally. Yesterday, David Duke tweeted out his support for Ilan Omar. The point is that all of America is the target, or all that America stands for is the target, because all of America is in the hands of those who oppose socialism, at least for now. For let us not forget, Nazism is national socialism as well. This anti-Americanism is now most fervently spoken about as a matter of racism. This is part and parcel of the Marxist American dialectic. And to prove the racism, just as with the Soviet Union, you invent it where it doesn't exist and cover it up when it's under your own watch or by your own approval. This would help explain why we bury stories of anti-Semitic and anti-Asian discrimination and violence while we invent hoaxes about other minority discrimination and violence. Want a quick test? I'd bet 90% of America would fail it. Are there more anti-Muslim or more anti-Jewish hate crimes in America? I ask because we are told we are in an Islamophobic society and there is anti-Muslim sentiment all around, the likes of Omar and Talib. Yesterday, AOC's speech was in defense of Omar because of Islamophobia. Well, here's your answer. There are 360% more anti-Jewish hate crimes in America than anti-Muslim. Cover up the real problem, especially if you fuel it, anti-Semitism, and invent and exaggerate the rest, the smaller part, for it serves your cause, and the cause is always all. If you want to see it locally, look no farther than Arizona State University, where an event next week featuring Dennis Prager and Charlie Kirk, among others, is being denounced by a passel of faculty seeking it be stopped, banned for In their words, in a letter they wrote to one of the deans of the university, quote, Dennis Prager and Charlie Kirk are purveyors of hate who have publicly attacked women, people of color, the LGBTQ community, as well as the institutions of our democracy. Close quote. Got it? Dennis Prager is a purveyor of hate and has publicly attacked women and people of color and other institutions of democracy. 
Dennis Prager, an Orthodox Jew. Same for Charlie Quirk. Of course, not a shred of evidence anything close to that worse than what the entire left and the entire Democratic caucus in Washington, D.C. was defending Ilan Omar for saying yesterday. You know why? I'm betting not one of them has ever actually read a column or book or heard a speech unfiltered by distortions of their words and work by either Prager or Kirk. Let me say very clearly for the record, I would not be on a platform or station that hosted purveyors of hate or people who attack people of color. And I would offer to debate any of the faculty that signed this letter on what they wrote. And so with all this history and intellectual fraud that comes from Marx, Lenin, Khrushchev and their modern epigones, we see something very much like what we saw in the days of the Cold War. Ideologically entrenched regimes vested in perpetrating lies to maintain their credibility with a constant need for an enemy so as to justify their existence. Thus, I give you racist America or racist Prager. America and Prager and the likes of us stand in their way. And so any phraseology to justify our silence and banishment is deployed and defended. Now, the natural question arises, how long can this go on as the party capital P state is running and ruining the actual state from the economy to the rule of law to the idea of intellectual freedom and and diversity? This is actually the easiest of all to answer. It's the hewing to an idea over a fact. Or as Thomas Huxley once put it, the inconvenience of ugly facts killing beautiful theories. Now, you understand also the notion of college readiness and loan forgiveness. The idea is the push to put everyone or pack as many people as possible into colleges and universities, the better to train the brain or wash it. The universities have to be sanitized, sanitized by neo-Marxist thought for neo-Marxist thought so that each subsequent generation can get more and more comfortable with what is taught in college and expected to be exported and applied outwardly. Signs of which you see all around. Disruption of the family, use of children for adult political causes, use of education and teaching as a revolutionary act, a run against masculinity and martial virtues, the elimination of dissent, the excusing of some violence attendant to the exploitation of other violence, a war on law enforcement, and the use of race as the catalyst and impetus for all of this. It's not racism they hate. That's the invention and the label applied to opponents of the cause, right out of Khrushchev. Dennis Prager has done more, for example, to fight racism than all those faculty at ASU put together. I'd like to think perhaps maybe I have as well. It's free thought. It's freedom they hate. It's conservatism they hate. One scholar put it this way, quote, there is only one permitted narrative, and it is that conservatives are dangerous white supremacists who live in a fantasy world and are mostly mostly Russian propagandists, while Democrats, on the other hand, are noble social justice warriors who ensure an open border, keep women's sports safe for men, and punish school children for using the wrong pronouns. Meanwhile, speech is violence. Violence is mostly peaceful. Peacefully marching is insurrection. Gender changing is gender affirming. Keeping hands off a body is having clinicians operate in your body. Wanting those hands off the body is putting hands on it. Colorblindness is racism. Discrimination is anti-racism. Voter suppression means more voters voting. And build back better 
means higher gas prices for your car and for baby, baby formula and for tampons for women and, of course, in our new dispensation for men. As I said, Orwell was not a novelist, it turns out. He was the author of a policy and procedure manual. As I say, let's try and make Orwell fiction again. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Listener Charles here in Phoenix uh, sent me an email. Um, I often listen, he writes, I often listen to the Dennis Prager radio show and find his wisdom and viewpoints quite exceptional and wise. I heard him mention his planned trip to Arizona State University to speak. I became aware that a number of ASU professors were protesting his invitation. It seems that the university that I received my degree from and the university that I was a longtime supporter of is continuing to get involved in woke nonsense, shutting off a free inquiry, debate, and speech. I had already chosen to quit sending donations and canceled my purchase of football season tickets, which was established with a donation as well as part of the package. I canceled because I was unhappy when the university fired Rayleigh Klein as the Cronkite School radio station manager for her political views. And then an incident with BLM protesters harassing students in the library and the school's support of radical leftist politicians has soured me on my support. ASU has become no better than the leftist Ivy League schools that have made a mockery of education. I thought a major institution in the state, which was home to Carl Hayden, Barry Goldwater, and Sandra Day O'Connor, was better than that. Yeah. Yeah, the state was also home to a Democratic Party that just doesn't exist anymore. A Democratic Party that was represented by a lot of great highlights. Dennis DeConcini would be an example. I don't think Janet Napolitano would go for something like this, quite honestly. Though I don't know, that might have been around the time when it turned for certain, when she was elevated into the Department of Homeland Security and started the scouring of language, as so many Orwellians do, particularly when it came to issues having to do with terrorism. Do you remember what she and the department found with regard to the attack, the terrorist attack at Fort Hood? Workplace violence. That required what, by the way? Do you remember? Remember what one of the solutions that report said about what took place with the killing of 11 people in Fort Hood, 11 innocents, more mental health care. Do you realize who the assassin at Fort Hood was? A psychiatrist. Yeah, right. Maybe some more martial virtues and values, maybe a little more force protection, and maybe a little less political correctness where we elevate oppositions, and enemies precisely because they check certain ethnic boxes as if ethnicity determines thought. A notion that I thought was buried at Nuremberg. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. It is a delight and privilege to welcome back an old and dear friend, Brian Kennedy. Brian T. Kennedy is the chairman 
of the Committee for the Present Danger, China. I knew uh, with the story of the balloon over Montana, there was only one person I wanted to talk to today, and that is Brian. He is also the president of the American Strategy Group. Brian, welcome back to the Airwaves of Phoenix. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Seth. Uh, always great to be with you. Uh, just to hear your voice, as I'm, sure your, as I'm sure all your we have to organize these crises so that we can talk. You know, right? right. <laughs> exactly. All right, Brian. What should we know? What do we need to know about this "quote unquote" balloon? Well, you know, let's start with the notion that that China is at war with us and thinks of itself as being at war with us. That in 2019, they declared a people's war against the United States, and they alerted their people some almost four years ago now that they were going to be in a war. Now, the Chinese don't think of war the same way we think of war. They're very patient. They're in it for the long run. They will engage in political war, information war, and I think actual shooting comes at the very end, and only if they've failed at everything else. We've lived through COVID. We've lived through fentanyl. 110,000 Americans died from fentanyl poisoning last year at the hands of China via the cartels or sometimes via China directly, but produced by the Chinese. And so I say that only to underscore they're at war with us. This balloon is a military that they're calling it, you know, for, for various research, atmospheric research. But this balloon is a method of either spying on the United States or being able to use that balloon as a vehicle, a, a platform, as it were, to be able to attack the United States. You could have a nuclear weapon on board that. You could conceivably have, though I don't think it would be very effective, some kind of biological agent on that. And at minimum, they're violating U.S. airspace, and they are potentially, just as a, a, as a kind of war game, seeing what the U.S. response would be. Yeah, yeah. The phrase trial balloon comes to mind. Uh, I, I saw actually... Right, Right. I, I saw I saw of all places, um, the first report out of CNN had a former air or a retired uh, Air Force colonel saying uh, his guess is they're at a minimum scooping up signals, intelligence, checking our cell phone traffic and our radio traffic, which would be bad enough. Right. Well, yes. But of course, I can't imagine that there aren't a variety of ways of doing that. Sure. To be sure. Right. I mean, China is so deeply embedded in American economic life mm -hmm. and the physical infrastructure of the country. I wonder why they use a balloon to do that. Right. They have satellites. They could monitor conceivably what was going on in Montana using satellites. I'm sure we would know whether those satellites were in that same orbit. And it may not be as easy. Um but look, China, I mean, the idea that this is this is something, you know, beyond the pale is one thing I would caution your Good. listeners against. Good. China is, is intimate with everything we're doing already. Good. They're monitoring this radio station. They built the infrastructure for the radio station. 
you're listening to it on a device made in communist China. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? They're everywhere. And I think one thing this balloon does demonstrate is their aggressiveness, that they would take this balloon and fly it over an American state, multiple states, obviously, and that it would present a real physical threat to the American people. One reason the Biden administration says they're not going to shoot it down, although they could change their mind, obviously, but they say they're not going to shoot it down, shoot it down because of the debris that might be on there. Pause on that. Pause on that for just yeah. Pause on that just a moment on that debris fallout um, that could that could come down because this was a short segment. I have to take a break, and this is really an important line of discussion. It seems to me if if there were a place where we wouldn't have to worry about debris, it might be Montana, and people could be told to stop, drop, and cover while we took care of this communist infiltration of the United States, or. As Fox News put it, communist eye in the sky as we sit here seemingly paralyzed to do anything about this invasion of our sovereignty and airspace. Brian T. Kennedy will be with us on the other side of the break going into all of that and more. He is the chairman of the Committee on the Present Danger China. PresentDangerChina.org is the website. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Brian Kennedy is our guest. He is the chairman of the Committee on the Present Danger China, also the president of the American Strategy Group. PresentDangerChina.org is the website. You can learn more about everything he is saying and speaking and teaching us, speaking to and teaching us about. Brian, we were just getting into the issue of uh, not shooting it down, not shooting the balloon down because of uh, the concern over debris. Talk to us about the legitimacy of that concern? Well, I mean, we don't know what's in it. Yeah. Would be part of the problem. I'm not so worried about the debris, per se, right? Because, you know, there's all sorts of debris coming down from the heavens all the time, right? Or conceivably, right? That that wouldn't be it. But let's take the worst-case scenario, just for the sake of argument. Sure. And no one is more strident that we need to prepare ourselves for war against communist China than I and my colleagues. Right. Let's just say for the sake of argument, this is potentially a nuclear weapon up there, an EMP weapon. Okay. Because a high-altitude balloon like this was a scenario discussed by the EMP commission yep. as a potential platform to deliver an EMP weapon. That's right. So it's conceivably a nuclear device up there. It goes off and it creates an electromagnetic pulse that could fry the electronics of the major transformers that distribute the power throughout the grid. Your cars don't start, or a lot of cars don't start, but you don't have electricity. Right. And the substantial numbers of cars will be inoperable. No lights in your house, no water. I mean, it's a, it's, a it's, it's like that scene from that Jason Robards movie, The Day After, where all the cars just freeze on the highway. It's, right. a, it's a catastrophic kind of scenario, mm-hmm. right? If they did have a nuclear weapon that was designed to be used as an EMP weapon, striking it would 
have it go off. Okay. So when it, it's very satisfying to say at one level, we're just going to shoot it down. Yeah, or maybe not President so fast. Trump, if if, yeah. Pres, if yeah. President Trump were in office, he would have shot it down already. Yeah. Apparently, they're not even that easy to shoot down. Yeah. Um, you can shoot them down, but it takes, you know, they're, they're somewhat resilient. Not that you couldn't do it. And it's not just could. a balloon. I mean, it's not just a hot air balloon even. I mean, this is a big thing. This is like the size of three semi-trucks or something. Right. This is a sophisticated yeah. device. right. Right. And it's hard to track. And, you know, again, not that it couldn't be, but it's a worst-case scenario. It's a nuclear weapon. You shoot it, it goes off. There's a kill switch type of device within it. Again, worst-case scenario. And you destroy the electronic infrastructure of the United States. And that would be horrific. I mean, you, you also have, as the EMP Commission highlighted uh, several years ago, all the nuclear power plants in the country. They have all the spent fuel rods and all the cooling of all that, or the fuel rods, those would melt down the nuclear power plants we have because they're not hardened against an EMP attack. Mm -hmm. So it would mean the physical destruction of the United States just from that kind of radiation that would happen because our nuclear power plants fail. Again, Friday afternoon, almost happy hour. Don't want to discourage anybody here. But it would be a horrific thing. Okay. Okay. But the thing is this. Do the Chinese really want to destroy physically the United States? I would argue they don't. Yeah, I'm with you. I would argue what they actually do is they would want the United States Mm -hmm. whole and intact, Mm -hmm. but owned by them. Mm -hmm. And today they're on track to owning the country. Mm -hmm. Economically, ideologically, otherwise, yeah. Right, right. They have a guy in the White House who fully, fully is on board with what it is they're doing. And, and they, they looks to have, they seems to have compromised him. So, why would you, if you're the communist Chinese, want to destroy physically the United States? Right. Now, they could have a strategic error that got them there, but they've also had, just to be clear, um, other Chinese generals and colonels, generals, military writers within communist China who've internally written and given speeches about the depopulation of North America and the desirability of North America to be owned by communist China Mm -hmm. and and in in engaging in chemical and biological warfare to achieve those things. And so that would suggest that strategically they see North America as something desirable for them to possess. So if you did have a nuclear attack, it would mitigate against that. It It would be destroying their investment in this place. Yeah. Yeah. So that's probably not a likely scenario. Now, do they want to control everything we do? Do they want to know everything that we do? Absolutely. And this this high-altitude balloon is certainly part of that. Maybe it was there just to embarrass the, the Biden administration. It's there to test them, to see how they will respond, to look aggressive, to remind the American people and American policymakers 
that they can, as it were, touch the United yeah, States. Yeah, they can hamstring us, right. Right, right. Now, they can already do a lot of that mm-hmm. because, you know, I'm giving a speech for Hillsdale College at Hillsdale College next month about the CCP and Big Pharma. Right now, 85% of active pharmaceutical ingredients in U.S. medicines are produced in communist China. Mm-hmm. In so many ways, they have a great deal of influence over us already. So when we look at that hot air balloon, one has to wonder, you know, that's not like some great uh, strategic development. They've been, they've been eating our lunch for a lawfully long time. I have to take a commercial break. Can you stay for a final segment? Um, Absolutely. Thanks. It's a short one. So I would ask you uh, to think about it as your national security advisor uh, to a president that's willing to listen to sobriety like yours. What do you advise them? Um, I'd love to get your thoughts on that when we come right back. As I go to break, let me put in a word for why refi. You've heard me talking about them for a while now. If you still have questions about the great investment they can provide to you, feel free to call them at 888-YREFI-34, and they can put you in touch with any number of many satisfied customers in the Phoenix area who have happily been investing with them and getting great returns. Think about your IRA. Would you like your IRA to be earning strong fixed interest rates and not be dependent on the stock market or Joe Biden's economy? Did you know you can invest with Y-Refi through an IRA or other qualified funds? And you can keep your investment, including the high fixed interest rates you earn, tax-deferred. That's right. Your money can stay in your IRA, and you don't have to pay taxes on the income you earn. 888-Y-R-E-F-Y-34 or investyrefi.com. Brian Kennedy and I will be right back. Brian Kennedy has been our guest, and uh, he will close the hour out with us. He is the chairman of the Committee on Present Danger China, presentdangerchina.org. A couple minutes left, Brian, in the hour. I wanted to keep you. What can we do? What would you advise a president willing to listen to your advice uh, at this point? Uh, Options, of course, increasingly increasingly, uh, small, but what would you advise at this point? Capacity for making war. Mm Mm-hmm. So, such that the Chinese will be deterred from doing such things mm-hmm. against us. I'd harden the electronic grid, mm-hmm. right? So you couldn't do the EMP type attack. Mm-hmm. I'd build a national missile defense. Mm-hmm. I would I would get rid of the wokeness in the military, mm-hmm. such that we have the, our best and brightest. You know, I think a lot of our best and brightest are in the military, and they've been very ill served by all these woke policies mm-hmm. within our military. Mm-hmm. We have uh, a leadership the, not as good as the people in it, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I would explain to the American people that we may have to go through some hard times ahead mm-hmm. as we decouple from communist China. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to manufacture things here again. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have to prioritize American jobs and American manufacturing over, over doing all of our manufacturing, such as it is, abroad. And, and you can do it, some of it abroad. It just doesn't have to be with the communist Chinese. Would you ban TikTok? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, 
I would ban that if it were American made. Yeah. An American. Made. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> yeah, right. I can always count on my producer is laughing and nodding to a thumbs up. Yes. Absolutely. I think it's the, one, one, it's just a window into your private information yeah. on your phone. Yeah. When you consent to all these things, they have they have the ability to do this. But look, American should be going outside, exercising, playing sports, yeah, doing the things that a free people do to enjoy this beautiful country of ours. The idea that we're sitting on our phones looking at 30-second, you know, videos of girls in bikinis and dogs and cats and people falling down just seems beneath the... the yeah, there is an infantilization uh, uh, about the whole Which thing, of course. Yeah, no, it's it's yeah, awful. No, We're infantilizing adults and ruining childhood for kids. That's at the same time. It's rewiring people's yeah, brains. Absolutely, this stuff is addictive. Of course, it and, is. And, and totally corrupting. Of course, itself. it is. Of course, it is. Yeah. And uh, China is not unaware of that either. <laughs> well, no. Brian, you are uh, you're always smart and sober, and I appreciate <clears throat> appreciate you beyond uh, words can say. I'll just let people know again. They can learn more about everything you're talking about at presentdangerchina.org, presentdangerchina.org. It is present. Uh, Brian, thank you for your presence here today. Thank you, Seth. Great to be with you. Have a great weekend. You do the same. I'm Seth Leibson. Uh, we'll be right back.